0: All right, Paradise Lost, Book Nine. Uh, Milton begins with another kind of evocation of the muse. He's changing his notes to tragic here. We're getting to the fall. And he tells us around line uh, 64 that Satan has been on the, the dark side of the world, A space of seven continued nights he rode with darkness. So, remember that Uriel is the angel in the sun who has now got his eye out for him. So Satan has just kind of kept out of sight. He's he's literally had a week of darkness, which is kind of a nice um, parallel to the week of creation, the seven days of creation. And notice that the way that Satan sneaks in is through the – this is around line 71 – uh, the river, the Tigris River at the foot of paradise into a gulf shot underground till part rose up a fountain by the tree of life in in with the river sunk and with it rose Satan involved in rising mist. So that underground river that has the springs that come up in the middle of paradise, he's snuck in that way so they're, they're, the angels guarding paradise won't be able to see him. And he's decided he's going to use the serpent as his agent to uh, trick mankind, because it's, the, it's a subtle, tricky beast, and so his subtle tricks might not be uh, sound any alarm bells. Now, on line uh, 99, Satan begins his soliloquy. He says, "'O earth, how like to heaven!' Now remember, in his last soliloquy, in the beginning of book four, he addressed it to the sun. This one is addressed to the earth. It's quite literally a descent or a fall. Uh, But he's talking about how beautiful the earth is. It's almost as beautiful as heaven. And says, line 114, with what delight could I have walked thee round if I could joy in aught. But he says, "...the more I see pleasures around me, so much more I feel torment within me, as from the hateful siege of contraries. All good to me becomes bane, and in heaven much worse would be my state." And here we've seen this pattern with Satan, that seeing uh, things that are beautiful, things that are good, only makes him more hateful, more jealous, more spiteful. And he doesn't have any, all of his you know, rationalizations have gone away. He says, line 126, Nor hope I to be myself less miserable by what I seek, but others to make such as I, though thereby worse to me redound, for only in destroying I find ease to my relentless thoughts. So he doesn't think that he's not pretending that I'm liberating mankind. He's just going to make them as miserable as he is. That's the only uh, only thing he can do now. Evil has become his good. Uh, so Satan has fallen quite a long way from the epic figure we saw at the beginning. Uh, he's much less appealing, and, and part of the journey of Paradise Lost is, is realizing that about Satan. Now, when he goes into the serpent, he has a speech that starts around line uh, 364, Says, o foul descent, that I, who erst contend with gods to sit the highest, am now constrained into a beast and mixed with bestial slime, this essence to incarnate and imbrute that to the height of deity aspired. But what will not ambition and revenge descend to? Who aspires must down as low as high he soared. Uh, now, this is an interesting parallel with Christ's incarnation. Uh, we've heard about that in Book 3, that he will be, he will be made man. And there it's seen as a, a, a glorious, a wonderful thing. Satan sees it as a foul descent. I I, am almost a god, and I'm going to incarnate myself in this bestial slime. He's just repulsed by the idea, uh, which sets up an interesting contrast between him and the sun. Now, on line 205, Eve begins a speech to Adam, and already this is something quite unusual. Every other time we've had a dialogue in Paradise Lost, the superior speaks first and addresses their inferior. So Satan speaks to Beelzebub, who then replies, God speaks to the Son, who then replies, and always before Adam would speak to Eve, and then she would reply. But here Eve is taking the initiative. She's uh, she's speaking first. Uh, already things are a little bit amiss on this day, uh, or at least unusual. And what she has on her mind is their job in the garden and how it's getting ahead of them uh, It says, whatever, line 110, we uh, lop, overgrown, or prune, or prop, or bind, one night or two, with wanton growth derides, tending to wild, thou therefore now advise, or hear what to my mind first thoughts present, let us divide our labors, Uh, thou where choice leads thee, or where most needs, Uh, so the idea is, look, and remember, Eve has never said anything about the garden. It's Adam who has made the comments before about this garden and its wanton growth and it's getting out of hand. Uh, Eve is really just picking up on that. She says, well, if we want to do that, we should we should split up. And she says, you know, also, when we're working together, we just kind of, you know, stare at each other and, you know, giggle and uh, we don't get as much work done as we might if we were separated. Uh Now again, this seems like uh, something that she's doing for Adam It's very easy in this opening debate that they have to read forward that is to assume that this Eve is doing something bad here because we know what's eventually going to happen. But if you look at her actual argument, it seems perfectly reasonable. We've got a job to do that's too much for us. We don't have any children to help us yet. Let's split up and so that we can cover more ground. And Adam says, well, I kind of like, you know, not getting work done and staring at you all day. Um, you know, we should take some, some refreshment uh, of the mind. Uh, he says, line uh, Uh, 2.42, for not to irksome toil, but to delight he made us, and delight to reason joined. Um, And he says, well, to to short absence I could yield, Uh, line 2.51, but other doubt possesses me, lest harm befall thee severed from me. For thou knowest what hath been mourned us, what malicious foe envying our happiness, so he's saying, well, you know, I, I wouldn't mind maybe a short absence and that would be even more fun when we could come together. But, you know, there's this enemy around that they've already warned us about. Um, and he he, asks, he tells her, line 265, leave not the, that, the faithful side that gave thee being. So he wants to protect her. He's worried that she could be in danger. Um, and she comes back with a very interesting counter-argument she says line 280 that thou shouldst my firmness therefore doubt to God or thee because we have a foe may tempt it I expected not to hear uh, he says what, so you think I'm not up to it I mean what, you don't have faith in me um, he says that, that my firm faith and love can by his fraud be shaken or seduced is that what you're saying that I'm I, I, I'm too weak to do this and Adam kind of very quickly recovers he uses line 295 says I, not for that but to avoid the attempt itself it, it would be it would just be an insult to you if satan even attempted to uh, uh to uh, hurt you or or uh deceive you in some way but he makes a really good point he says around line uh, 307 subtle he needs must be who could seduce angels nor think superfluous others' aid. So he's saying, look, this guy was able to sweet-talk a third of the angels into going along with him. He's probably pretty smart. And, you know, even though if you could face him on your own, you'd have a better chance if I was there. And then Eve replies, line 322, if this be our condition... Thus to dwell in narrow circuit strained, straightened by a foe, subtle or violent, we not endued, single, with like defense, wherever met, how are we happy, still in fear of harm? You think, are you telling me it's not safe to walk the streets of paradise at night? I mean, come on, if, 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 if this is what we have to do, uh, is this really a happy condition? So they're getting into a, a very, you know, complex argument here. And again, it's so easy to think, well, Eve is obviously wrong here because, you know, she is going to fall. But it's very hard if you don't know that and don't just already assume it to find a fault with her argument here. Um, and she, she says, let us not then suspect our happy state left so imperfect by the maker wise as not secured, single or combined, Frail is our happiness, if this be so, and Eden were no Eden, thus exposed. And so Adam takes this. He doesn't. He doesn't like this, but he he, gets, he sees her point, and he tells he tells her that reason is free and reason he made right. Um, he's he's worried that she might line three sixty three fall into deception unaware, not keeping strictest watch, as she was warned. Seek not temptation, then, which to avoid were better. Uh, he says, line 3, so he, he doesn't like this idea. Yes, we have reason, and reason is free, but it can be corrupted. You have to be careful. But, line 370, if thou think'st trial unsought may find us both secure, then thus warned thou seem'st, go. For thy stay, not free, absents thee more. Go in thy native innocence. Rely on what thou hast of virtue. Summon all, for God towards thee hath done His part. Do thine. So he doesn't like it, but if you are determined to do this, I, I'm not going to force you to stay. That would be wrong. I, your, your stay not free. You, you might as well not be here. And she says, "Well, with thy permission, then." Uh, and thus forewarned, okay. Well, that, and, and so we wind up doing what she wanted to do in the first place. And then a very momentous moment line three eighty five thus saying from her husband's hand, her hand soft she withdrew every time we've seen Adam and Eve, they've been hand in hand, and now they're uh, they're she's taking her hand away, and so he he watches her go and is you know does you know her long with ardent look, his eye pursued delighted, but desiring more her stay um so he doesn't want to do this but she goes off and she's working in the garden and Satan just happens to come upon her he was hoping that he would find her alone that's what he wanted to do Uh, but he sees her and is absolutely stunned by her Uh, line 444 much he the place admired the person more so Eve is beautiful even in this beautiful garden uh, line 455, such pleasure took the serpent to behold this flowery plat, the sweet recess of Eve, thus early, thus alone, her heavenly form, angelic, but more soft and feminine, her graceful innocence, her every air of gesture or least action overawed his malice, and with rapine sweet bereaved his fierceness of the fierce intent it brought. That space... The evil one abstracted stood from his own evil, and for the time remained stupidly good. So he is—he is literally stunned. She is so beautiful, and so it's such a, a wonderful thing to behold. He's—he's he's stupidly good. He—he's not act- actively good, but just the fact that he's sitting there uh, admiring her beauty makes him, for a moment, stupidly good. Uh, you know, of enmity disarmed of guile, of hate, of envy, of revenge. But the hot hell that always in him burns, though in mid-heaven, soon ended his delight, and tortures him now more, the more he sees a pleasure not for him ordained. Then soon, fierce hate he recollects. So again, seeing something good and beautiful and and sacred uh, may for a moment abstract him from his own good, but not for long. The the envy and the hate and the revenge come back even stronger because of that. And he kind of gives himself a pep talk around line four hundred eighty, says, Let me not pass occasion which now smiles. You know, this is my chance, I've got to i got to do it. And uh Milton describes Satan now the the curse that's going to be put on the serpent is that he it will crawl on his belly so Milton describes the way he, he the serpent walked before that curse, uh, this is around line uh, 495. Uh, in in enclosed uh, Satan is enclosed in serpent inmate bad and toward Eve addressed his way, not with indented wave prone on the ground as since, but on his rear circular base of rising folds, that towered fold above fold a surging maze, his head crested aloft and carbuncle his eyes. So the idea is that it's like the serpent is is making a, a, you know, his coils make a circle on the ground and his head sticks up like kind of like a periscope, you know, looking around. And he moves on the the that circular base uh, and kind of wiggles around on that, not prone on his belly like a snake does today. And Milton describes the serpent coming at you Sideways he doesn't make a direct assault. Uh, look at line five, ten with tract oblique at first, as one who sought access but feared to interrupt sidelong he works his way, as when a ship by skilful steersman wrought nigh river's mouth or foreland, where the wind veers oft as oft so steers and shifts her sail, so varied he, and of his torrent torrent. Tortuous train curled many a wanton wreath in sight of Eve. So he kind of comes in sideways in a little epic similar there. It's like a ship, you know, a sailing ship can't go straight, it has to tack with the wind. It goes first one way, then it tacks back the other way, it kind of makes a, a an indirect approach. Now look at the first letter of line five ten and then the first letter of line five eleven S. A-T-A-N. Satan. Now here is Milton describing how Satan comes at you sideways so you don't see it coming. And there is Satan sideways and you didn't see it there. Uh, Remember too that Milton wrote this when he was blind. Um, He's quite a poet. So Satan is is coming up, and he's trying to get uh, Eve's attention. And finally, he speaks to her, and and call, talks to her around line five thirty three. Wonder not, sovereign mistress, if perhaps thou canst, who art sole wonder. Much less arm thy look, the heaven of mildness and disdain. Um, and he's uh, talking her up, you know, sovereign mistress. He says, "Thee all things gaze on." So he's praising her about how, you know, wonderful she is. And look at her uh, response around line 534. What may this mean? Language of man pronounced by tongue or a brute and human sense expressed? So Satan has been giving all of these kind of uh, comments, uh, you know, kind of trying to appeal to her vanity. She doesn't take any notice of that at all. She's just like, "Oh my god, you can talk. I didn't know that animals could talk." Uh, remember that they haven't been in paradise very long. This might be a new new development. Uh, and she says, Say, how camest thou speakable of mute? And how to me so friendly grown above the rest of brutal kind that daily are in sight? Uh, say, for such wonder claims attention, do. says, What I want to know is why why you can talk. How did that happen? And Satan, the serpent, has his story ready. Uh, I was at first, as other beasts but then he saw a goodly tree uh, that none of the other animals could get to because he was the only one who could climb up. Uh, Line 593. All other beasts that saw, with like desire, longing and envying stood, but could not reach. Amid the tree now got, where plenty hung, tempting so nigh to pluck and eat my fill, I spared not. And then he has a strange alteration. uh, 600, to degree of reason in my inward powers and speech wanted not long though to this shape retained so uh, there was this internal alteration I had reason, I could speak uh, says, uh, but all that fair and good in thy, in thy divine semblance and in thy beauty's heavenly ray, united I beheld so when he achieved this higher reason he saw she was the most beautiful thing of all so he was going to talk to her and uh, Eve is not so easily taken in by his flattery. Uh, she says, line 615, "Serpent, thy overpraising leaves in doubt the virtue of that fruit in thee first proved. But say, where grows the tree? From hence, how far?" Uh, he says, "You know, we we haven't tried all the trees around here. I'd like to see this one." Uh, now notice, Eve is she's not at all vain. She doesn't respond to his flattery, but she's very curious. She wants to know how he can talk. She wants to know about this tree. Uh, You get the sense that if Adam was doing this, he would not be nearly as curious. Remember, Eve's the one who thought about the question about why the stars shine at night. That's not something Adam would probably have have, uh, thought about. So he takes her, the serpent takes her to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she tells him, line 647, Serpent... We might have spared our coming hither, fruitless to me, though fruit be here to excess, the credit of whose virtue rests with thee, wondrous indeed, if cause of such effects, but of this tree we may not taste, nor touch. Uh, says it, well, I, I thought I might try this fruit, but no, this is the one th- fruit that we can't eat. And the servant replies, indeed, has God said that of the fruit of all the garden trees you shall not eat? Yet, Lord's declared of all the earth and our air? He says, No, no, no. We can, we can eat any of the other fruit. It's just this one tree that we can't eat. So then Satan launches his, his argument here. Look around line 685. Queen of this universe, again, he's sucking up to her. Do not believe these rigid threats of death. Ye shall not die. How should ye? By the fruit? It gives you life to knowledge. By the Threatener? Notice God is now the Threatener. Look on me, me, who have touched and tasted, yet both live, and life more perfect have attained than fate meant me, by venturing higher than my lot. Shall that be shut to man which to the beast is open? Or will God incense his ire for such a petty trespass, and not praise, rather, your dauntless virtue? said, god you know uh, this it's just a little thing God won't God won't mind in fact he'll probably give you a you know a, a promotion for being you know showing some initiative here um, he says uh, uh, he says of evil uh, if what is evil be real why not known since easier shunned He uh, says if it's good you should have it if it's evil well you should know how to shun evil and kind of ironic uh, line 700 God therefore cannot hurt ye and be just not just, not God, not feared then, nor obeyed your fear itself of death removes the fear Now this is the kind of lawyerly uh, double talk that he's giving, well, the, the very fact that you're afraid that God is going to kill you proves he's not going to kill you, wait what? Uh, it's not really logical but it sounds like it has the form of a logical argument but it's not really so he says well why was it forbid is God jealous of you if I became like a human eating it you'll become like a God if you eat it and he he has an explanation line 712 so shall ye die perhaps by putting off human to put on God's death to be wished well, in a, in a, you know, you can't take the Bible, the Word of God, literally. It's just kind of metaphorical. Yeah, you you will die in a way by not being human anymore, but you'll be a god. Well, that's quite a good death. Um, and he talks about her need of this fair fruit, and then we get an internal monologue, starting around line seven forty-five from Eve. She's saying, well, you know, great are thy virtues, doubtless, best of fruits, though kept from man. Um, and she's internalized Satan's own kind of logic. Look around line uh, 753. His forbidding commends thee, uh, uh, commends thee more, while it infers the good by thee communicated, and our want. For good unknown... Sure is not had, or had, and yet unknown, is as not had at all. That is exactly the kind of double-talking lawyer uh, speak that Satan was using on her a minute ago. She's internalized that. In plain, then, what forbids he but to know, forbids us good, forbids us to be wise? Such prohibitions bind not. She's saying, Well, there's there's a higher law here. God can't forbid us to do something that's good for us, and this is would clearly be good for us, so it, it can't be you know, the servant's right. He can't be God if he's he can't be good if he's doing that. We know he's good, so he can't be telling us not to do this. Um And so she says she says it grows the cure of all. And then line seven eighty. So saying, her rash hand in evil hour. Forth reaching to the fruit, she plucked, she eat. Earth felt the wound, and nature from her seat, sighing, though all her works gave signs of woe that all was lost. Back to the thicket slunk the guilty servant, and well might, for Eve, intent now wholly on her taste, naught else regarded. So, he makes this momentous moment. The nature feels it, and Satan kind of slinks away. He, while she's distracted, he wants to get out of there. Um, but she greedily she engorged without restraint, and knew not eating death. And then we get this soliloquy: uh, "O oh, sovereign, virtuous, precious of all trees in paradise of open of operation, blessed to sapience hitherto obscured." Um, and she starts kind of, it looks, she says around line 810, that, uh, and perhaps I am secret. Heaven is high and high and remote to see from thence distinct each thing on earth and other care perhaps may have diverted from continual watch our great forbidder safe with all his spies about him. Notice this kind of rationalization. Well, maybe God didn't see me. I mean, he, he, God can't watch every little thing that happens on earth. And notice he's not God anymore. He's our great forbidder. And then she has a question. But to Adam, in what sort shall I appear? Shall I to him make known as yet my change and give him to partake full happiness with me? Or rather Not. So here, now, she's not thinking of the, the fruit as a bad thing here. She's saying, oh, this has made me wise, and this is you know made me like a god. Oh, should I share this with Adam? Maybe I should keep it myself. Says, in, uh, uh, so to add what wants in female sex, the more to draw his love and render me more equal, and perhaps a thing not undesirable, sometimes superior. For inferior, who is free? Now, that's, that's very much Satan's argument, right? Uh, if, if God is above me, I can't be free. Uh, if anything uh, is driven home in Paradise Lost, it's Milton's idea of that hierarchy, that everyone has a place in it. Uh, but she's rejecting that here. But then she thinks, oh, but what if God have seen and death ensue? Then I shall be no more, and Adam, wedded to another Eve, shall live with her, enjoying I, extinct, a death to think. Confirmed then, I resolve. Adam shall share with me, in bliss or woe. So it's like, mm, yeah, well, if I do die from this, then Adam will be alive and he'll probably get another woman to live with. Nah, he's coming down with me. Uh, so, you know, she's not sure that it, uh, that's going to happen, but even the fact that it might, she's going to, uh, again, bring Adam down with her. This is not at all the kind of thoughts and feelings she had had about Adam before. Uh, this is again an indication of the fall. Now Adam is looking for her, and he had, line eight forty he had wove of choicest flowers a garland to adorn her tresses. Um, so he brought this with the um, uh, this little little garland for her that he made. Obviously, he's not getting much work done. Um, and she brings a bough in her hand, line 850, a bough of fairest fruit that Downy smiled new gathered. And she tells him the whole story about this tree. This tree is not, as we are told, a tree of danger tasted. Uh, you know, and said she heard from the serpent wise, um, who with me persuasively hath so prevailed that I have also tasted. So she tells him a little story. And look at the the explanation she gives him, line 881. Thou therefore also taste, that equal lot may join us, equal joy as equal love. Lest thou not tasting, different degree disjoin us, and I then too late renounce deity for thee when fate will not permit. So she's saying, you've got to taste this so that you'll be equal with me. Now, she was just thinking the exact opposite, that if... Adam, It might be nice for her to be superior to Adam. Um, But here she's telling him, no, no, I want us to be equal. That's the only reason I'm giving this to you. Now, Adam now has an internal monologue. Um, And he thinks about her, line 896, O fairest of creation, last and best of all God's works. Uh, he he's thinking about how much he loves her he's not fooled he does he's not taken in by this argument he's not tricked the way that eve is uh but he's so in love with her that that tempts him um he says line 906 me with thee hath ruined for with thee certain my resolution is to die how can i live without thee how forego thy sweet converse and love so dearly joined to live again in these wild woods forlorn. Should God create another Eve and I afford, another rib afford, yet loss of thee would never from my heart. No, no, I feel the link of nature draw me, flesh of flesh, bone of my bone thou art, and from thy state mine never shall be parted, bliss or woe. That phrase brought together, bliss or woe, they both of them echo. And notice in his internal uh, dialogue monologue here, he the, the idea of another Eve is not interesting to him at all. It wouldn't it would not make up for this loss, and even though he doesn't think that she's actually been you know elevated and made godlike, he kind of goes along. He starts giving rationalizations around line nine, uh, 28. Perhaps thou shalt not die. Perhaps the fact is not so heinous now. For tasted fruit, profaned first by the serpent, by him first made common and unhallowed, ere our taste. Uh, well, maybe maybe, oh, maybe the fact that the serpent ate the fruit first has taken the curse off it. He doesn't believe that. He's just making excuses. Um, or around line 938, nor can I think that God, creator-wise, though threatening, will in earnest so destroy us, his prime creatures. So he's thinking that uh, this is actually something that the the fallen angels talked about, that they would get God so mad that he would destroy his own creation. And he's saying, oh, well, surely God won't do that. Uh, so uh, uh, he says, I, with thee, have fixed my lot. So he agrees uh, again, not deceived, and Eve lays it on pretty thick around line uh, nine seventy-seven. Were it I thought death menaced would ensue this attempt, this my attempt, I would sustain alone the worst and not persuade thee. Rather die deserted than oblige thee with a fact pernicious to thy peace. Um, so again, this is not what she was saying in her uh, her soliloquy earlier. Um, she's she's. Uh, trying to deceive him. And the narrator tells us, line 997, he scrupled not to eat against his better knowledge, not deceived, but fondly overcome with female charm. So Adam is not, uh, there's there's not a rational argument that tricks him. It's emotions. It's interesting. Uh, Eve is not tricked by an emotional appeal. She is tricked by reason. She is not able to, to outfox the serpent. Adam has the higher rational power, but his weakness is emotion. So each of them fall at the the, the weaker point of their character. Um, and the fruit has an intoxicating effect. Uh, line uh, uh, As with new wine intoxicated, both they swim in mirth and fancy that they feel divinity within them breeding wings wherein to scorn the earth. Remember Eve's dream about eating the fruit and flying above the earth? But that false fruit far other operation first displayed, carnal desire inflaming. He on Eve began to cast lascivious eyes. She him as wantonly repaid. In lust they burn. Till Adam thus gan Eve to dalliance move. Uh, So the fruit is not making them like gods. It's making them like animals. Uh, It's flaming their lower bestial passions. And look at Adam's... uh, uh, speech starts around the line ten twenty two um, much pleasure have we lost while we abstained from this delightful fruit, nor known till now true relish tasting, if such pleasure be and things to us forbidden, it might be wished for this one tree had been forbidden ten he 's like, Oh, this is great uh, you know if this, if this is what it 's like to have forbidden fruit, I wish there were ten forbidden trees here. we could go eat all of them um so he's really wound up, and again, the, the intoxication of the moment. Um, and her hand, he seized. Now we saw him; we heard about that before when he met Eve. But this is very different. Adam is and Eve are not uh, having their marital relations calmly at the end of day, at the appropriate time. And we've seen that they do. Milton is not against sex. He's against uh, lust, and that's what this is. He seizes her hand, he's driven by lust, she's driven by lust. They find a place on the ground and, and uh, do it, and they, it, they fall asleep, but not at the end of the day, at the proper time for it, but in the middle of the day, because they've exhausted themselves. Um, And it says, line uh, 1057, I'm sorry, 1053, they soon found their eyes how opened and their minds how darkened innocence that as a veil had shadowed them from knowing ill was gone just confidence and native righteousness and honor from above them naked left to guilty shame so it's like a hang it's like the the morning after uh, they were all intoxicated it was all exciting at the time but now they Their eyes are open to evil, but it's not a good thing. It's left them shameful, naked. Uh, and Adam says, uh, line 1067, O Eve, in evil hour did thou givest ear to that false worm of whomever taught to counterfeit man's voice, true in our fall, false in our promised rising. Since our eyes opened, we find indeed, and find we know both good and evil, good lost and evil got. He says, yeah, we've got the knowledge of good and evil. We know we don't have good anymore, and all we've got is evil. Uh, And Adam understands the, the consequences of this. He says, line 1080, How shall I behold the face henceforth of God or angel, erst with joy and rapture so oft beheld those heavenly shapes will dazzle now this earthly with their blaze, insufferably bright. We're not we're not fit as we were before. We talked with angels. We, we could uh, we spoke spoke with God. We can't do that anymore. We're fallen, and uh, they have to put some clothes on. So that's line ten ninety five. Some tree whose broad smooth leaves together sowed and girded on our loins may cover round those middle parts that this newcomer shame there sit not and reproach us as unclean. Uh, and this is, again, right from from Genesis, all of this is from the opening chapters of Genesis. But that particular detail that they uh, they get fig leaves and make uh, clothing for themselves—they uh, didn't need clothing; they weren't ashamed of of themselves. But now they do. Um, and Milton says, uh, line eleven fifteen: "Oh, how unlike to that first naked glory!" Uh, he's, he's talking about their fall. And he also gives us a a very clear uh, understanding of what the fall means here. Around line 1126. For understanding ruled not, and the will heard not her lore, both in subjection now to sensual appetite, who from beneath, usurping over sovereign reason, claimed superior sway from thus distempered breast, Adam uh, estranged in look and altered style, speech intermitted thus to Eve. Uh, So he's about to talk to her. But this this is Milton's picture of the fall. So the sensual appetite has usurped the power of sovereign reason. Now, if you remember, this is kind of similar to what Adam was saying about the nature of dreams. His idea that reason is asleep and fancy kind of goes crazy and and takes over when reason's not there to keep things in check. This is a a similar kind of thing. Also, it suggests, again, the very hierarchical understanding of things that Milton has. Reason is on top, passion is subservient to reason and when it is there's nothing wrong with passion but when passion when sensual appetite when those lower faculties become in control of the higher faculties that's the sinful nature of man that's for milton that's the fall before the fall it's not that we didn't have sensual appetite and that didn't have passions it's that they were subordinate they were in control now they're the ones in control. Everything has been turned over. And it says that this is, you know, this is an altered style. And think about how different this argument, and this is an argument, it's not a debate, it's an argument that Adam and Eve have, have and it's all about these accusations. Line 1134, Adam says, Would thou hast hearkened to my words and stayed with me as I besought thee when that strange desire of wandering, this unhappy morn, I know not whence possessed thee, we had then remained still happy, not as now, despoiled of all our good, shamed, naked, miserable. Um, You know, if, if you had just listened to me this morning when I told you not to go, we wouldn't be in this fix. Um... And Eve comes back at him eleven forty four. What words have passed thy lips, Adam Severe? What did I hear what did you just say to me? Did I hear you right? Imputest thou that to my default, or will of wandering as thou call'st it, which who knows, but might as ill have happened thou being by, or to thyself, perhaps hadst thou been there, or, or hear the attempt. Thou couldst not have discerned fraud in the serpent, speaking as he spake, no ground of enmity between us known, why he should mean me ill, or seek me harm, or seek to harm. Was I to have never parted from thy side? As good have grown there still a lifeless rib. Being as I am, why didst thou not the head command me absolutely not to go, going into such danger as thou saidst? Um, now, first of all, a couple of things. Uh, the argument's or the, the earlier arguments that they had, the debates they had were very careful, very logical. Uh, they didn't have passion and control here. They're just flying off and, and going, saying one thing and then the next, it doesn't have the kind of nice logical progression, but Eve does make several points here. He says, well, you wouldn't have known that the, the serpent was lying. Well, maybe Adam would have, we'll never know. Um, but then, really, gets the dig in was I have to have never parted from thy side, as good have grown there still a lifeless rib. Now that, in some ways, is similar to the argument she made earlier, that uh, you know, Eden is not Eden if we if we can't be safe here. Uh, but it becomes something very personal. Uh, you know, it, it's a, a, a criticism of him. And she says, well, you're, you're supposed to be in control. Why didn't you just command me not to go if it was so dangerous? And Adam replies, line 1163, is this the love? Is this the recompense of mine to thee in grateful Eve? He says, this is the thanks I get, all I've done for you. Again, like laying on the guilt trip. And he says, what do you mean? Why did I command you to not to go? Line 1170. What could I more? I warned thee, I admonished thee, foretold the danger and the lurking enemy that lay in wait. Beyond this had been force, and force upon free will hath here no place. I told you not to go. I said our enemy was out there. I tried to convince you. The only thing I could have done is force you. And, and Man, would you have been mad at that. Uh, and force has no place here. Um... And, and he he says uh, at the end of his little speech, uh, thus it shall befall him who to worth in women over trusting lets her will her will rule, restraint she will not brook, and left to herself, if evil thence ensue, she first his weak indulgence will accuse. He says, Oh, I see how it is. So uh, you have to uh, you won't listen to what I say, and then when you go ahead and do what you want anyway, and you get in trouble, it's still my fault you know, for letting you do it. I can't win for losing. Um, now, again, this is not the kind of, this is not the kind of of very uh, polite, you know, Dr. Phil kind of argument where you always, he you know, say, well, I understand that you're feeling and what I hear you say is, but my point is, no, these are just flinging accusations and it's all emotional. This is dramatizing What Milton says about the fall, this is the sensual appetites and passions controlling them, not their reason. And he ends, thus they in mutual accusation spent the fruitless hours, nice pun on fruitless, uh, but neither self-condemning and of their vain contest appeared no end. That's another thing about this debate. It's endless. Right? It doesn't come to a logical, rational conclusion the way their debate in the morning did. Uh, this one is just mutual accusations, none of them and neither of them taking any responsibility for what they've done. And that for Milton is the, 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 the tragedy of the fall. That's the human condition now where we, we've lost the kind of the, the pure rationality uh, that, we would have, that we would have had before the fall. All right, well, we will leave Adam and Eve and their uh, endless contest for the moment. Uh, Next time, I want you to read uh, uh, big sections from Book 10, not all of it, and skip Book 11 and then read the very end of Book 12. Uh, Let me explain that. Uh, The first section in Book 10 I want you to read, lines 1 through 228, is the... Uh, is when Adam and Eve are confronted by God, who uh, this is again right from the Bible, uh, where He finds out what they did and gives them their punishments. Uh, then there are some other things in the in the book about the the effects on the the universe. Uh, but picking up around line four fourteen, we get Satan's return to hell. Uh, you know, we're skipping the part where he meets sin and death and they build the bridge to, to earth and all of that. But when he gets back to hell from lines 414 to 584, we see him, his kind of triumphant return and how he presents his victory to his fellow fallen angels and see what the, uh, what the results are there, what happens to Satan uh, in, in this moment of greatest triumph for him. Uh, Then pick up uh, the end of the book, uh, from line 720 to the end. Here we get Adam and Eve, and this is the aftermath. Uh, Adam has uh, some long kind of rambling speeches. He's trying to figure out some things, and you'll notice he's not nearly as, as rational as he was before, so he has trouble figuring things out. And think about here the relationship between Adam and Eve, And the difference in the way that they're characterized, and you'll see, this section is where the two of them uh, come to ask for forgiveness, and notice how that happens. And again, how how Milton portrays Adam and Eve differently. Then, in Book Eleven, which we're we're going to skip, uh, God sends the the archangel Michael to uh, exile Adam and Eve from paradise but also to give them a prophecy of the future. Uh, Raphael came down and told them a story about the past, the big creation of the world. Michael is going to give Adam uh, a vision of the future. It's basically the hist- the history of the Bible uh, that he tells him. So that's in all of Book 11 and, and uh, the first half of Book 12. And we'll pick up the reading section online now, uh, Four sixty six through the end of Book Twelve, uh, Adam has seen the the biblical history, which of course climaxes with the sacrifice of Christ, and this insight gives him in, in, into the the hope for the future. And the rest of the the uh, Book Twelve is the expulsion from paradise. And I want you to notice how Adam, how Adam, how Milton characterizes that, and how Adam and Eve respond to it, particularly the very end of the book. What is it like when they are actually uh, turned away from paradise? Uh, So we'll be looking at that and finishing up our uh, journey through Paradise Lost next time. Uh, Questions can be addressed to drmarkwomack at gmail.com. Thanks for your attention. I will talk to you next time.